Let's pick straight up where we left off with John Millman as he continues to chat all things tennis and serves up some awesome insight and very encouraging ideas on how to keep pursuing your dreams. So, and I, and I assume that that entire journey and, you know, taking your step-by-step, step, you know, club tennis, playing some futures, more club tennis, and then up to your challenges once you sort mm. of rise up to get yourself some challenger starts and then, you know, those first few ATP starts must be exciting once you, you where was your first, you know, can you remember it? What happened? Where were you? How did you perform in that? Yeah, I, was, I actually event? got a wild card into the Brisbane International, a tournament okay. that I've had some of my best memories from and probably the most pressure matches that you're going to play a Davis Cup for sure. And yeah. uh, actually a Brisbane International because you feel a, a sense of added pressure because wherever you look in the stadium, there's guys that are, and, and girls that have supported you your whole career and, and people that it, it, I want to perform for those people. You know, when you're over on the other side of the world, I'm trying to perform for myself and, and also those people back home who are watching me. But I really want to perform for those people. So, yeah, I, it was then I, I lost. I got dusted up by Radek Stepanek. He was the defending champion. And, uh, yeah, look, I got dusted up. I got cleaned up. But uh, it was a taste. Yeah. But then it doesn't all go smoothly after that, you know. It's, it, you have a lot more hurdles in between then and, and when I really felt as if, okay, now I belong now. Yeah. You know, Wait, there, there were... A, there were a lot of injuries along the way. Uh, when I really felt as if I, my level was there was uh, I had played Andy Murray at the Brisbane International that year. I played a, a, a tough three-setter with him and, you know, had chances and kind of kept that momentum going. I think I won a challenger. Being in Mexico wasn't great for me. I hate playing in altitude. You play with these flat balls that don't have, you know, oh, wow. when, yeah, they don't have cans. They, they actually come in boxes. Um, so they're flat, depressurized balls. And uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I hate it. I hate those conditions. <laughs> I just hate it. Uh, have I've you played half court tennis much with the deep? Have you ever I, I haven't, but I've, you know, I, I, I have hit with it because when I came back from shoulder surgery, I was hitting with those balls. Yeah, right. it's, you know, it's a fair bit less. So I've had two shoulder surgeries. Yes. One when I was 18 and, and this one I'm about to say, which was, I, I came back and, I headed I head over to Munich and I was going to play the Munich ATP qualifying there. Really nice tournament there. Munich's a beautiful place to play tennis. But it's always heavy, heavy clay. It's like mud there. Never have I seen good weather at that tournament in Munich. And Stuttgart too. It must be a thing in Germany. Uh, so I, I, I go there and... I got through qualifying three rounds, really tough, tough tennis. But I was about 130 in the world at this stage. And the year before, I'd played four months of club tennis. So this year, I'd actually was going into a stage post-French Open, Wimbledon, where I would have four months of no points to defend. So pretty much, if I kept playing at a pretty decent level, I thought, well, this top 100 is, is there for me. You know, it's, it's, it's 100% in reach. And that had kind of been the goal in my head for a while for, for the obviously then gets you into major well, gets you into grand slams, grand slams and yeah. and i know it's just a number too but you know it's a significant number everyone mm. remembers the time they broke into the top 100 uh sure. so i got through these qualifying and and uh i i went out to, to warm up for my my singles match my main draw match 
really heavy conditions. And I went and hit like an overhead. I had this sharp pain in my shoulder and went to hit some serves and really sharp pain. And I just thought, you know, I'm just a bit sore or whatever. The, the match wasn't great. I really felt uncomfortable serving. A couple of weeks later, I was in, um, I was in Bordeaux and I got some scans and they said it was bursitis. So I'm like, okay. Uh, and they said, look, play with it for, for this week. And then next week before French open, um, get an injection in there and, and, you know, the cortisone will take care of it. So I, I, I then found out that I was going to be main draw of French open, which was massive for me. I hadn't even played a, a main draw of an Australian open at that stage, or I might've played one, but I hadn't played a main draw of French open. And, uh, and also, it was, a, it was a lot of money too. It's like 35,000 euros. And for me, 18 months before that, it was, I was doing it pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, so it was a massive opportunity for me and I was looking forward to it. I thought top 100 was in reach. I felt good about my game. I felt confident about my game. And so I, I rock up to Paris and it was just the day before the draw was going to be made for qualifying. And the thing is, because I'd been given a wild card from the tennis Australia, uh, I had until that draw got made to confirm that I was going to play. As soon as that draw gets made, Tennis Australia loses their wild card. Right. Uh, a lucky loser will go into place if I pull out after that. Sure. So I went to get scans and, and the injection. And I, you know, so they could see where this burst, bursitis was, which is like a blister in the yeah. shoulder. Uh, and came out and, and they said, there's no sign of bursitis. You've got a torn labrum that, you know, more likely or not, that'll, that'll involve surgery. They said, we can inject you and you might be actually right to play. You might not feel it. It's a masking agent, but so, you might get to play. You might get, yeah, you might get to play. You might get to play. Yeah, cortisone. You might get to play French Open though, which was a dream of mine. Sure. So then I had a few hours to digest that where I got the injection, but, I had a few hours to digest it um, and I got a chance to play French Open here. But I literally couldn't serve before that. Before that injection, I couldn't serve. And I thought to myself though, like, man, I, I wouldn't be, first of all, I wouldn't be doing Tennis Australia. Uh, I felt a real responsibility that they'd given me a wild card um, to go out there and be able to play at 100%. And also I felt a real responsibility to myself. I'm, I'm someone that really prides themselves on on having good integrity and, and, and really be competing every time I walk onto the court at 100%, bringing 100% physicality and, and bringing a good mental approach to that game. And, uh, and I'm also thinking the money could help, you know. Yeah. If I walk on the court and, and play and it becomes too painful, at least I get some money. Uh, but I made the decision to, to rescind the wild card and, and pull out and, and there went my, my dream of playing the French Open and a guy called Nick Kyrgios ended up getting the wild card and uh, his career kind of kicked off and started then. He beat, I think, Rafa at, at, at Wimbledon not long after that. So uh, that was a really tough decision and, and probably the next kind of 12 months that, that came after that was, was really tough, really tough yeah. because I, I was on such a high before that main draw French Open, 130 in the world, top 100. I thought pretty much within my grasp, super confident, started to get very confident at that level, um, a sense of belonging. And, and all of a sudden now I've got a, a torn labrum, which uh, Jimmy Fardulis operated on. He operated on my shoulder before. I have 
so much respect for him. So lucky that I was a churchy old boy and, and Jimmy was too. And I had that connection there. And he was awesome. He did such a good job. And, you know, he, he's the type of guy that'll send you a message every now and again to tell you to, to keep at it. Because, you know, look at Ryan Harris. He just took five, five wickets at, at, at Lord's. And that was a message I got when I was really struggling, actually. And um, that's the type of guy he is. So uh, I was so um, lucky to have a good, good team around me. Dirk Spitz, who's working at the Brisbane Lions, was you know, instrumental in, in, he was at Tennis Australia at that stage. He helped me like you wouldn't believe to get that shoulder right. And Sean Fife actually helped a lot too. So I had some really good people around me, but those 12 months were tough, really tough. Probably some of the toughest, um, you know, that I had in my career. Uh, there was, I was working actually a couple of days in the city. And in Brisbane? Yeah. And there were a lot of moments there where, where, I didn't think that, you know, I was going to get back and play. And also, I didn't from, think... From the shoulder perspective? Or yeah, look, I wasn't confident. A shoulder a... surgery, a torn labrum, slap repair, is something that, that some players never come back from. I mean, it's, right. it's a really tough one to come back from. And, and, and also, starting from scratch again after getting so close to, yeah. to reaching um, something that, you, that held really a lot of importance to you was 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 really tricky um i wasn't happy uh i was doing all my rehab to the best of my ability but you're making baby steps the whole time yeah the money is just being drained from your account because there wasn't a lot in there before but you really uh, it was really tough it was really tough and i remember i was unhappy for for a long time um really unhappy uh just Every day was a bit of a grind, to be honest with you. And I remember we, I, I had a kind of a work breakup Christmas thing. It was over at the Gabba and I probably had a few too many red wines and I decided to walk home to my folks' place at Norman Park. And I was walking along, um, people who are familiar with Brisbane, one of our, our famous views of the city, and you could see the office where I was going and working, was uh, along the Kangaroo Point Cliffs. And man, I was just... I was just thinking to myself, man, this sucks. Like, <laughs> like it, you know, it really this does. Not what I want. But, but the thing I didn't want is, is to be that unhappy. You know, I was super unhappy. And I actually haven't told, I've maybe told this story like twice. And um, so, I'm walking along and, and uh, man, I was just, I was, I was crying. You know, like I was just crying. Um, there was just, it wasn't even a sense of whether I wanted to get back and play tennis, really. Um, I, I just wanted to be happy again. And I had to figure out what made me happy. You know, that was a, a real big thing there. Um, and so I walk home, I get home eventually. It takes me like an hour and a half to get home. And I remember going straight into the kitchen, mum's there. And, you know, I just broke down with her, you know, I, and I just told her because I, I don't think I did a great, I'm not a person, um, I'm quite expressive, but I'm also quite, quite, uh, internal also at the same time it's, sure. it's a bit it's a bit weird I'm I'm I'm, I'm an extrovert but I, I also when it comes to really personal things I'm quite internal and oh, and you know I kind of put up maybe a bit of a facade at times uh I'm good at doing that and so I probably caught mum by surprise a little bit but yeah I was yeah I, I was um I was licorice all sorts I, I was not good uh what did mum have to say well, mum's mum and dad have been my greatest support, you know, 
since I was a kid. And I never felt any pressure from them to ever play tennis, which is something that I'm really blessed about because when I see yeah. tennis parents and, and when I'm exposed to that on a, on a worldwide stage, that's not always the case. Um, so you kind of take them for granted a little bit and, yeah, until sure. you, you live and breathe it a little bit. But mum was, you know, mum was sad, sad herself because, I mean, it's, her kind of, I think she felt that her job is to, is to make me happy too. You know, that's, that's what parents want. Uh, I think that that's, that's, that's what they do everything for, is to, to try to give you the best of opportunities because it makes you happy. Yeah. Um, and, and so we just kind of chatted about what it would take to, to make me happy. What it was, is it, is it to, to, to not keep trying this rehab or, um, or is it, you know, why am I unhappy? And, and I think that was a real turning point for me there because in, in that instance, um, because I, I, figured out there that I felt as if um, I hadn't squeezed that lemon dry. You know, I, I felt as I think that was a, a real turning point for me in terms of, you know, what it was that, that I was playing tennis for. Um, and it was to, to, to be the best version of myself out when I walk out on court. And I felt as if prior to that injury, uh, I, I had a, a lot to give and, and I had a lot more to get out of myself. And I felt as if that was kind of, I wasn't getting that opportunity. It had been taken from me because of the injury. Mm. And I just, I, I think I, I really changed then. And, and not as if I wasn't doing anything, everything possible before, sure, but, sure. but I did it probably with more purpose after that. And, and with more of a, with more of a focus um, and it became a little clearer. We talk about having clarity um, when I'm on the court. It's, it's pretty important to have clarity off the court too. And Absolutely. I think that that clarity came in that moment. And, and um, I turned the corner in that phase uh, in terms of wanting to, to, to give it the best possible chance to, to get it right, to see if I could squeeze a little more juice out of that lemon. Turns out to be a pretty good decision, mate. Yeah, it was. Look, it was. Um, it's funny though, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I thought then that, uh, <laughs> gee, I, I want a couple of feel-good moments too. Uh, I thought then though that it's funny, um, we actually listened to, Joe Ingalls had a, a chat to a few of the tennis players the other day and I was going to ask him a question I didn't because we ran out of time. Um, but I was going to ask him if, uh, he, he was talking about uh, when he was playing for Barcelona, the basketball team. And he said, I'm playing one of the best basketball teams, one, probably the best basketball team in Europe. But I'm playing one of the best basketball teams. And I wasn't happy being there because, you know, I kept on saying I wanted to get to the NBA. Yeah. And, and for me, it, it's funny because it kind of hit home a little bit because um, I always thought that, well, if I can get to, to top 100, well, you know, okay. I'll be satisfied then, you know, and you get to top hundred. No, you get to top hundred and you're actually not satisfied because then there's something else that you're chasing. You're always chasing. You're always chasing and you're always, so yeah, I was just wondering with him if it, and, and that's one of the toughest things. And, and, um, 
And, you know, I found myself in Monte Carlo last year. I'm playing Monte Carlo. Like, unbelievable. You know, you have to be almost top 40 in the world just to get to Monte Carlo. And it's a, uh, you see pictures. If you, if you haven't seen Monte Carlo, the tennis, I mean, just t- Google search Monte Carlo. And it's, I mean, it's like a, it's like a painting. Unbelievable. And, and I'm there in Monte Carlo and I was actually there with Fee and, and, and I was like a miserable, miserable person. Like I wasn't happy. My body wasn't feeling great. And, and I was just, again, unhappy, you know, like, and, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, you actually have to step back and you go, man, you're in Monte Carlo. Like how good's this, you know? And, but it's interesting because you're always chasing that next thing and, and you, you, you never, 100 percent satisfied i used to think i'd be satisfied make you know to play at wimbledon well i qualified and 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 won around and that year drew for that tournament was the was the was the year that i actually uh, during that tournament after that tournament i made top 100 for the first time yeah so like that was like the best thing ever and yeah. you're happy for a moment and then you're like well i've got to stay here now because i want to do that again yeah i got to you know you, you always I think it goes with professional sport and, and, and a little bit also when you, when you set high standards and you're someone that, that tries to get the best out of yourself. And when that actually, it's funny because I said that that really helped me um, to get through that injury process and, and to change that mindset a little bit. But it's also the devil a little bit too, yeah. because when that's the, the absolute goal, yeah. you don't stop. You know, maybe when you hang them up, maybe, maybe that's what Joe would have told me. Um, but look, I, I think sometimes it's really important to sit back and reflect, um, as to what you've done and, and how good it was, uh, and, and how good it is what you're doing, because I think we don't do that enough. Uh, we don't appreciate, we don't appreciate, you know, our achievements and whatever they are, they might be big, they might be small, uh, whether it's, it's going out there for myself and, and, and playing golf and beating my handicap, like if that's important to me, when I do it, like being able to sit back and go, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I remember when I went to play Wimbledon for the first time and I thought I was going to be on, on the main side and I go rock up there and they tell me qualifying's down the road on the, on the cricket oval <laughs> at Roehampton. And it took me a few goes and eventually I qualified for Wimbledon. And you go from at Roehampton to have blow up bloody kids' pools that they fill with ice as the recovery. You eat your lunch in a tent you go, the practice courts are on an old um, soccer field that is a soccer field and they just make makeshift courts there. So they've got stud marks in them and stuff. And you walk through the gates of Wimbledon for the first time after you qualify. It's like the best feeling ever. Yeah. And I think it's really important to remember those times because yeah. uh, I think reflection is actually really important. So when you are at, say, something like a Monte Carlo, um, when tennis is so results oriented and, and you're always looking at, at the cuts and, and the next tournament that you might be in or might be out of, uh, it is also to, to good to, to reflect on those times that, yeah. that are, you know, special. Yeah. I think it's important and it's important that you've got those people around you to help you make sure you do that as well. Isn't it? Uh, you spoke about Wimbledon there in um, 2015, I think it was where, you actually flew your parents over, yeah. um, you know, rang your parents and say, I've qualified for, you know, I think it was yeah. some ungodly hour in the morning as well. Mum was drunk because I think she was watching it with her sister. <laughs> and uh, anyway, you flew them over um, and played. I'll tell you another story about that particular Wimbledon. Um, 
you know, one of my friends, uh, he's, he's heavily involved in tennis and takes tours to Wimbledon every year, messaged me today and said that he watched you play against Baghdadis. Yeah. Lost, lost in five. I did. Um, six, four in the fifth. But he said it was an unbelievable match, but what made it even better and gave you a bunch of fans was the fact that you came back out after that match and signed autographs and chatted to the Aussie fans that were there for about an hour after that match and just signed autographs and stuff. So, mate, you um, you made some lifelong fans that day, even in your loss, which is, I think, is a credit to you. And, you know, that's why you have such a great fan base around the world. So, there's a little story for me to you, mate. That, no, I like that. No, and, and that's, you know, it, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself. And that match was a, was a tough one. Uh, qualified, I beat Robredo first round and played lights out. I played unbelievable tennis. He could play. Uh, yeah, no, well, he, I think that, you know, he was one of the, the seeded players. I, I played great tennis. And, uh, yeah, so two days later, I'm playing Marcos at, you know, tough match, five sets. I'm, I'm in positions to, you know, to probably win it. And um, it hurts a lot. It really does. But I think, I think in those matches, and like the Roger one at the Australian Open, um, it's going to hurt. But... I, th- I think when you can really feel good about yourself and not good about yourself, but when you can feel satisfied is, is, is what I've kind of built my career on. And that's going out there and giving it a crack. Yeah. And, and if you do that to a hundred percent, eventually the loss hurts a little bit less. And we've also got to remember that these people, especially at Wimbledon, you line up for like six hours to get in more. Uh, tennis is an entertainment business too. And, and, I've played plenty of times without anybody watching and I think it's also good. And sometimes you're not so good and sometimes you just want to kind of bury your head in the sand and and sometimes you do, but it's really good to appreciate those those people too, because, um, you know, plenty of times you're playing in the middle of nowhere, you're playing in, you know, Gim John Korea and no one's watching (laughs) and, and you, you, you wish to yourself, man, it would be cool if people were watching this. <laughs> and so when you do get those moments, I think it's pretty important to, to embrace them as much as you can. And like I said, sometimes you're not always in the best headspace to do that. But I think if you are, then, then you try to. Uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm glad that, that he caught me on one of those days. <laughs> Mate, um, no wonder you enjoy me watching you train on a, on a chilly sort of Brisbane morning um, the other day. You just, just have one fan there. There you go. Yeah, that's what it's about. <laughs> just to have but, that one fan there. It, it, no, that's what, you know, that's what it's about. And, and, uh, and I guess that's what makes playing on the big courts really special. You know, yeah. I remember playing at Wimbledon on centre court for the first time. And I've been lucky enough now where I've played on all the four majors. I played on, on the centre court of all four majors. And, I mean, that's a pretty cool thing to have. Uh, not a, you know, some really big established players that have had really good careers haven't even had that. So yeah. that's actually really cool. And, and um, you know, playing at Wimbledon Centre Court and, and having my old man in the box is, is special. I mean, that is really special. My, my old man and hairdresser in the box, actually. <laughs> hairdresser and husband, yeah. I had a, a unique box. It was on Super Saturday. David Beckham, I'm a Liverpool fan, but... Even I have a soft spot for Big David Beckham. You know, they're, they're watching. Um, you go around, you go through. I'm with Andy Murray and, and you go through the where they're having their morning tea because they've had a bit of a break. 
you go down the stairs, there's the famous Rudyard, Rudyard uh, Kipling quote, um, and uh, walk down and all of a sudden you're on Santa Court of Wimbledon and, and uh, it's like the, I guess it's like the Augusta or, or St. Andrews for golf, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's a special place to go and play tennis. And, and it's, it's, it's like I said to you, is, is if I can have some of these snapshots when I finish playing tennis, some of these memories that, you know, I, I, that stay in there and, and I can go back and, and kind of just remember what it felt like. I think that that's kind of that's one cool. of the best things you can take away from the game. Yeah, it's cool. I think uh, one of somebody watching on Facebook um, tonight has just mentioned that, you know, something you mentioned there, you know, fans line up for six hours to get into Wimbledon. Yeah. So, you know, if you can give them something, you yeah. know, even if it's a smile or look in a different direction for your fist pump or, you know, they just take that. They take that yeah. away with you. And I remember playing uh, in Japan, on tour in Japan, when Ryo Ishikawa was such a massive player on the on the up-and-coming stage, world golf. And, and in Japan, he was so huge that you, to just watch the fans with him and to just even get close to him or get a glimpse of him or be around the green. And it was, you know, it was like kind of, back in the day when Norman was yep. generating that and Tiger, you know, Tiger mania. And it's, yeah. So, you know, to be able to remember to give your fans that, that, oh, for sure. that high five is just so huge. And yeah. you just don't realize what you're doing for them no, and sometimes. It's, yeah. And it's part of it. And, and um, I get real um, pleasure of doing it. And, and speaking of Japan, I've got some of the best supporters in Japan. I've got a couple of, some of the most loyal supporters, and they'll, they'll be watching this. There's no doubt in my mind that they'll be watching this. Um, I, I mean, they're so special to me. Uh, and I think that's, that's so cool, you know, that uh, you can win matches and, and, and all that. But to be able to bring people a little bit of enjoyment is, yeah. is really cool. And uh, I know that that kind of keeps me going at times. And I've always said a, a good supporter is someone it's pretty easy to get on someone's bandwagon when you're when you're at the top of your game and you're playing great but when you're having those ebbs and flows and you get a message from from yeah. one of those people there you know one of my japanese fans or, or just you know your mates back home or whatever that kind of are ready to pick you up when you're a bit down i think that's the yeah the you know epitome of a good fan you know that's the definition of a good fan yeah so um you know, that's special and, and there's no more loyal fans than those in Japan, really. And I've, I played a lot in Japan because I played a lot of uh, challenger events early in Japan and, and I love playing there. I, if, I mean, if there's a challenger event on, on, the, on the circuit now, like I'll even look to consider going over there and playing it because I, I love it and, and I play well there. I, I have good success there because I'm really comfortable in the environment. I love yeah. the culture there. Great and culture. I love the, the people at challenger events, you know, they're packing out and they're, and they're watching tennis because they love it. Uh, and I think that that's really special. And I think that's what we, we need to try to get back here in Australia because I remember mm. uh, we get great fans at the Australian Open, Brisbane International and, and whatnot. But I remember hearing of back in the day of, of, you know, your Lou Hodes and that, and they'd go up and, and do the tour of like Queensland, they'd go and play in Rocky and, and Townsville and, and they would be packing out stadiums. And, and I think that that's got to be the goal. I know tennis has become even more of an international sport, but I think we can do a better job of actually promoting the game at a, you know, at a national level again and, and try to build up those numbers. I know competition's tough because we're competing with the rugby leagues and AFLs and crickets and golf and all of those. But um, I would love to, to 
to be able to, to, to get the country to embrace tennis all year round again. Absolutely. And there's no doubt as a Queenslander that you are, that you travel up to Townsville or Rocky or somewhere to play matches that you would have an incredible fan base up there as well. Um, that you, you might not even know about personally, but you know, Queenslanders being Queenslanders, we get on board the other Queenslander, right? So For sure. And, and, you know, it's no surprise how successful the Brisbane International's been. And I know on the men's side, there's the ATP Cup there now, but I mean, that tournament is an absolute success and, and the players love, international players love coming here and playing that tournament because, I mean, the facility's great. Um, the city's great. <laughs> you will get no bigger fan of the city than myself. Um, I annoy people by telling them how good it is. But, but it's the fans that make it. I mean, every single match is packed out and they create such a good atmosphere and really makes you a proud Queenslander to see them really get behind that tournament and, and just put on a real showcase for the international players. I, I don't see too many you know, international players that say, no, that wasn't good. Everyone loves playing here. And, mm. and I think that's a real testament to how much Queenslanders love their sport. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, let's touch on one more thing. Actually, two things. I'm going to ask you a specific question here regarding uh, being on the court. And then I'm going to talk to you a little brief, briefly about Davis Cup because I know how passionate you are about that. And so am I. So we'll talk about, we'll finish up with that. So... I just want you to, I just want to jump in your mind here for a second when you're standing on the court and, you know, let's say it's four all in the fourth set against Federer in that US Open. When you, actually, let's take you to the final game and you're serving. What, what's going through your mind as you tick away there? Are you just thinking process, 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 hit your mm. spots, you know, if I serve it here, I know I'm probably getting this return. So be looking for this return. You know, can you just jump into the actual? Can we jump into your mind for a second there? And yeah, so so first of all, I think you want to be thinking clearly. I think that's the most important thing because you can very easily uh, it can start to get a bit fuzzy. I say, you know, yeah, sure. a bit of white noise upstairs. So you want to be thinking clearly. So how do you do that? For myself, it's resetting. Um, you know, breathing, taking the towel, um, going through my routines. It's everyone has different little processes that they do and little idiosyncrasies that they do and, and they're weird, but it's whatever works for you. So I think, and that's to really, for me, I'm doing that to, to get the head switched on and, and to, yeah. to be, to be clearing the mind in big moments. There's no doubt you, you want to, first of all, you've gotten yourself into that point. So you've got to remind yourself. I like to remind myself, well, I've done well to get myself here. So let's not change it up too much. Yeah. Now, every match is going to be a little bit different and, and you'll go out with a game plan and you might have to adapt that game plan as it goes along. You have to be thinking on your feet. That's a big part of tennis also. So really you're thinking about what's worked and then how am I going to try to give myself the best chance to put myself in a position in the point um, that gives myself the best chance to put me into a position of, of what has worked in the past. So whether that's, okay, I want to get into a, a, a forehand exchange here and wait for him to, to either take on that line um, because he's been missing that one or where he's going to drop a little bit short and I'm going to step on and hit that backhand cross. You know, you want to be going through those plays that give you the highest percentage chance of winning uh, the point. 
So, you know, you practice that. You, you really do practice that. There'll be, you would have seen me doing a bit of ball fed where I'm actually practicing um, one, two combinations that I feel like um, are giving me my best chance to win points. And so I'm going into that moment. But the key thing is, 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 is you need to get that belief and, and you need to remind yourself that you've gotten into this position and you don't have to do anything crazy right now. Uh, you got to be sticking to, to what's working and, sure. and you really draw upon the millions of balls that you've hit in the past Absolutely. there. And, 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 and that's the reason why you hit millions of balls is because under pressure, you want it to become muscle memory. Yeah. You know, you want to, it to become automatic and the best time it can become automatic is when you're under a bit of pressure. Yeah. So, I think that that's a, a really big key. Um, if you've got a box, it's great because you're not getting coached by them, but, but you're looking at them for support. It's something that I do. Yeah. Uh, I'm quite vocal. A lot of the time, people who watch me play will see that I'm quite vocal and, and there's always a lot of positive energy that I'm trying to feed, whether it's person in my box or it can be a, a random person in the crowd. I, I, I really want positive energy and, and I'll be... Um, really trying to use every little bit to my advantage. It's, it's, it's that lemon, lemon yeah. squeezing again, yeah. whatever I can, I'll take. Uh, but yeah, look, it, it's, it's having the belief and being able to think clearly under pressure. Yeah. That's amazing. I can't imagine there's, I mean, standing on the court with you the other morning when you had, you know, some targets set in the backhand corner and the forehand corner in the shape of a plastic chair um, yeah. Poor chair. It's getting a workout from you. But um, I, I decided at one stage that for the set of balls, which was about six or seven balls in a set, um, I was going to start in the middle of the court and try and catch each of the balls from three or four metres behind the baseline. And I think I got maybe two. And then by the time you went backhand, forehand, I couldn't possibly get there. So... <laughs> You know, obviously, when you've got a racket in hand, you've got a bit more reach and, yep. and the like. But, but the amount of think time is very small. Yep, isn't it? So yes, it's, it's it come it's must come down to that drill work that you've been doing, that reactive work, hundred percent, and and knowing that when you hit a shot, you kind of I imagine you know how good you've hit it when you feel yeah. like the racket too, right? Yeah, for sure. If you've hit a really go. good, yeah, if you've hit a really good shot. Um, instinctively you're taking a couple of steps forward. Uh, yeah. You're covering off their percentage shot, but if you've hit one short, then you're going to retreat a little bit. Uh, yeah, sure. But yeah, look, it, it's muscle memory. It's, 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 and, and that started from when I was four years old, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's been a really long process to get there. And, and that's why I liken it when I started doing it really properly yeah. as a, you know, as a professional, um, Yes. I, I, I liken it to an apprenticeship. You know, I'm still learning every single time I go out on court and, and every single training session, you want to just build on that muscle memory, I think. It's so cool, isn't it? You know, I think we're both in a sports where, you know, you can be doing that or any, any sport or any, you know, a business as well, right? You know, um, you can still be learning and doing things better. Yeah. Um, if that's the attitude you take into the day, which is... It's one of the things I love about it. Um, you know, getting to know you over these last couple of weeks has been awesome. Davis Cup. Um, I, I love it. You love it. 
and as a tennis player representing your country, I can't imagine mm. there's much greater thing. And you spoke about your uh, genuine love for Leighton Hewitt earlier as well and Tony Roach. So, you know, what was it like the first time you sort of got to actually suit up and, and get out on court playing for your beloved country? Yeah, well, I'd been fifth player a couple of times. I'd been orange boy, probably Australia's oldest orange boy at a time in Darwin, actually, when Leighton was playing. Uh, Glasgow, I think, really kind of sold it to me. We had a really good win in Darwin against Kazakhstan. And, you know, I'd, I'd fallen in love with the, the Davis Cup from back at that ANZ Stadium in, in yeah. Frizzy. Uh, but... Glasgow probably just confirmed it in my head just how good the competition was. Yeah. Uh, we're playing against, uh, I was the, again, I was probably the fifth player, part Orange Boy, part fifth, fifth player. Um, and we're playing against uh, Great Britain in Glasgow. So Andy Murray, like yeah. pretty much we're playing against bloody Andy Murray. Like he <laughs> was an absolute titan and, he was really going for it that year. He really wanted to win Davis Cup that year. And so we're there and, and the lead up had been really good. We're playing in this arena in, in Glasgow, just next door to actually where uh, I'm pretty sure Celtic play um, the football because I love my football. And we're there and, and before, I would actually go out there a little bit earlier because they would play... Um, this one song, they get the bagpipes out and, and the whole crowd would be singing this one song. And, and I was familiar with the song. I don't know the name of it. Yeah. Um, I can probably, I'm not a... <laughs> Here we go. Come no, on. Look, it, I'll do it in like, see, but it's like, you know, I'll take the high road and you'll take the low road. Anyway. Well done. You might under, you might know it. Look it up if if you don't. Um, might be like the Rose of Scotland or something. I, I, I'd have to look it up. And I mean, it would give you goosebumps. Yeah. The whole crowd was singing it. They were so into it. And I mean, these. I mean, because Andy was playing in Glasgow, it was. I mean, he's he's a he's a god there. Yeah. And um, and the whole crowd was singing it. And I it was just. I, it's seriously one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. Like, uh, How good. Yeah, and, and we had such a tough... We, we split sets the day one. Uh, Bernie actually had a really good win against Dan Evans. Dan Evans was not quite the player he was right now. Um, and Andy won his match uh, comfortably. But then the doubles came on and the next day. And that's why home and away ties are so good. And yeah, we don't get absolutely. to experience it that much yeah. these days, which... I think it's a real shame about Davis Cup, but, you know, hopefully this one doesn't work out quite as well and we can go back to the old stuff. Uh, and we had such a good doubles match. It was the, the Murray brothers, Jamie and, and uh, Andy, against Leighton and Grothy. And it, that we end up losing in five sets, about 7-5 in the fifth, I'm going to say. And, I mean, it was heartbreaking. So this tie was so heartbreaking. We end up losing. Andy comes out and you know, does what Andy does. He won all three matches that tie. And so it was heartbreaking. And, and, but with that loss, I mean, that tie was what it was about though. An away tie in not a hostile environment because, you know, the Scots are actually really good, but an unbelievable environment to play tennis. I mean, and I just wanted that so bad, but 
I mean, it's tough to play Davis Cup tennis and it shouldn't be easy. I'm number 108 in the world. Uh, not I know I'm in the world, sorry. My number is 108 and I've got a tattoo of the Olympic rings here because that's the other best thing that I've done playing Davis. Uh, Olympics is unbelievable. And I'm going to get my number here. And, and, you know, only, you know, when I got, got selected, only 108 players have played in, 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 you know, this competition that's been around for, for easily over a hundred years. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel really blessed. And I actually got my call up in a semifinal um, in Belgium. And I had gone there probably as the fifth player. Uh, a, a good sign. That, yeah, I'd gone there as the fifth player. And I put in a really good week. It was on clay, indoor clay. And I was probably one of the more experienced players on clay, probably battling all those futures and, and club matches on the, on the dirt. And I played some really good tennis that week. And, and I'd come off a third round at a US Open. Felt like I was playing good tennis. It was after actually my, I was coming back from, from all my problems physically. And uh, I got, on the Wednesday, uh, about midday, just before lunch probably, um, Stoltz and Leighton actually called me into to the room and they said, Johnny, we're going we're gonna to go with you on Friday. You're up against David Goff. Uh, well, no, the draw hadn't been done yet. I was, well, was going to play David Goff on, but I wasn't sure if it was going to be first or second in the end of it being first. But... Uh, and they said, you've got to try to make it as physical as possible because we don't want him to play the doubles match, um, yeah. you know, in, in, the, in the day two. And, man, you, you're a bit nervous, but I'm not normally someone that's lost for words too much, but that, that hit home, I tell you. Um, yeah, you, you, you have to kind of gather yourself because you don't want to kind of, kind of break down a bit. In front of Rusty, especially, but uh, it meant a lot. It meant so much. Yeah, I, for me, it's something that I'd wanted to do ever since I watched that Davis Cup tie at ANZ. You know, so that was really special. I had a we played a great match. Goff on and I, um, he got me in the end, but thought it was physical, and he didn't play the dubs the next day. Uh, we end up losing that semi, and it hurt a lot. But uh, it was a real. Um, one of the better moments that I've had because tennis is an individual sport, but I've yeah. always felt when I walk on the court that I'm representing my country, um, not just my country, but I really feel it doesn't matter where I'm playing at what level um, I'm representing the people that have got me there. And, and, you know, my parents are those people, uh, you know, love doing the ball fed my yeah. mates, uh, DM, uh, you know, I, I got some really good mates, um, really good family, my sisters, Miso, um, also Stick, who is massive in my life, and, and Milton Rothman. Um, so I've got these people that have really supported me for a long time, and, and, they've, and there's so many people that I'm missing out on, but uh, they've been there, and, and whenever I walk on the court, I, I want to not just play well for myself, but yeah. I feel a real sense of, of duty to, to play for them. And I feel like at Davis cup, um, it's like that times, times, of, yeah. well, 20, 22 million, uh, you know, it's right. you, you're playing for your country. And yeah. for me, that's the best it can get. Uh, yeah. you can do all that you want individually. Um, but playing for your country is massive. And, 
it really hurt. I had, I was terrible company on vacation, uh, actually, uh, at the end of last year, 2019, because I got a really late call up and that's not easy, but, um, it's on me. That's, that's no excuses. I, I, you know, Rochi and, and Leighton and Krabby had prepared me and Dahl and Ivan, they'd prepared me as best as possible. Um, and I went out there and I wanted to do a duty for my country and I went out, uh, and, and lost uh, in a quarterfinal match there. And, and man, I was, it took me a couple of weeks to get over that and, yeah. and losses can, can take a bit to get over, but that one hurt a lot. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I was terrible company on, on, on vacation, <laughs> terrible. And so then we fast forward to the last actually professional match I played this year was Davis Cup um, to qualify for those finals in uh, Madrid at the end of the year here in, in Adelaide. And it was, it was um, as it turned out, uh, Alex and, and Nick um, weren't available to play because, you know, they were nursing some injuries and that. So I was going to be the number one player and kind of had the opportunity to kind of lead my team through this qualifying process against actually a pretty talented Brazilian team. Uh, and you know that was special and to to have this extended break after from from covid um and to to think back in those last matches was playing for my country at davis cup and and playing my part because it's a massive team game you know we got a big team behind us and and uh, i'm just a small part to play there but to be able to clinch it there uh, was unbelievable, really. Yeah. My only regret is that I didn't get a, I got on a flight the next day to Indian Wells because I should have gone, been able to go out and party with the boys. <laughs> it was yeah. special. It was, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a great thing. Uh, and again, we talk about having those little snapshots, those little moments um, that you can take with you after your career is done. And, and that will be one of them for my birthday present. It was my birthday yesterday. And, um, my sisters and mum and dad, they, they got me this big, um, framed actually this, one of these shirts here with the, the team that was at that tie. It's, it's all signed. And, you know, just a little memento down the bottom to, to signify the importance of, of what that shirt meant and, and, and that tie. And for me, it was a, a little bit of redemption for myself, um, knowing how much it hurt to be able to play my part just a little way to, to get our team to, to progress through that competition and to have that with me for however long um, is, is pretty special. Yeah, and I think you spoke about it earlier, John, in reaching your different levels and every time you got to that next level, that question mark of, okay, am I good enough to be here? Yep. And so when you had that, you know, yeah. you get that win and you, you lead that team now. For sure. You, now you truly believe, right? And oh, for sure. For sure. And and, and it's, it, I, I got to tell you, you get a lot of confidence um, yeah. having, those Davis Cup weeks are actually really good because you hit a lot of balls, but you get a lot of, I think, uh, Leighton, Rochi, Krabby, even Dahl and Ivan and Brooksy, so that's the, and, and Kath, our manager, um, they're all about just kind of pumping you up that week. You know, they're all, they're very, there's a lot of positive energy. Um, And, you know, I think, I think Leighton said that that's something that he thought Nuke and Rochi did unbelievably well when he played underneath them. 
was you just felt like a million dollars when you, whenever you, you were around them because during that week, I mean, they made you feel like you were... The king. Yeah, the king. Mm. And um, I think that's something that he's really used in his captaincy that he's learned. And, and also having Rochi there's, you know, I think unbelievable. If you go on my Instagram, there's probably every kind of fifth post, there's a tribute to Tony Roach because I think he's possibly... Um, for all that he's done, he's like the most underrated person in Australian tennis. I, I feel like sometimes we get a little, especially in the past when we weren't, we didn't have too many players in the top hundred. It was kind of like Leighton and that was it. Like Luch and Gooch were winning out because uh, Luch was probably coming to the end of his career. Gooch was struggling with his body and Leighton was kind of flying the flag there for a bit until your Bernies and, and Nicks and all them started coming through. And I felt like, some of our former generation sometimes would be um, maybe a little critical of, of, yeah. of us, just that we, we, we weren't reaching the heights that they'd reached. And, and we, we, ha- we haven't, I haven't reached the heights that some of our former past, because we, we got a really rich tennis history. Yeah, for sure. But I feel as if um, one of the key people that you didn't hear that from, but one, but was always on the court trying to get people better and, Literally, you know, I reckon if my little cousin was hitting, yeah, no, sorry, my little um, nephew was hitting Archie um, and Rochi was walking by, he'd probably get on court and hit with him and try to get him better. Like, he's just one of those guys that has a real passion for tennis and he's done so much for, for so many Australian tennis players and a couple of international ones too. Roger and Ivan Lendl kind of, you know, uh, trigger the memory bank. But... He's a, he's, done... he's, a, he's a figure, though, that I remember as a, as a watcher, as a fan of tennis and you know, a kid who loved playing it growing up as well. But as a, as a fan, and I still love having to hit, um, he's a figure that I always remember yeah. around tennis. And because he's, he's like never left it. Other people might have come and gone yeah. and the doors he's never left open it. and shut, but he's always been there. He, he's never left it, and he's got a real passion for the game and he's got a real passion for developing players and, and getting the best out of players. And I mean, that's what I live for. Yeah, um, so, good. so someone like Tony Roach, like, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, he should be immortalized. Uh, you know, there, there should be really, there should be a, a massive stadium named after him, you know, yeah. that's, that's there forever because he's done so much. So when you go into camp with these guys, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get any better. You know, that's like it's, awesome. it's an absolute no-brainer that you, when you get the call up to come play, well, number one, you get to play for your country. Number two, you get to go and camp with these guys. I mean, yeah, yeah unbelievable. No, I can imagine. I can imagine how awesome. Mate, uh, we are coming to the end of our chat, which has been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time in chatting to me um, tonight. There's one final question that I need to ask uh, of you that I ask everybody who's okay. on the Hard Yards podcast. And it's if you could be a sportsman, any yeah. sportsman, over the uh, the course of your lifetime that you either know of, have heard of, or as a current day uh, sportsman, that you could be them for a day and live their their life for one day, who would it be? Yeah, well, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. Probably a, a, a tough question to answer. Um. Look, it's really tough because my two massive passions outside of tennis um, 
has always been football soccer. Like it's, I'm a massive Liverpool supporter. My, my old man played in the, the national soccer league and, and I'm a massive Liverpool supporter. So, um, you know, well, it has to be one of their current players, uh, because, you know, especially this year when we're going for, for the title and we haven't done that for a while. Uh, and it'd probably be like the captain. I actually got likened to someone said that I was like James Milner, which I think is one of the best compliments ever because he's such a hard worker. But, Absolutely. It, but it would have to be probably like... So on the, on the football side, it'd have to be like Jordan Henderson because I'd love to lift that trophy. And, and he's someone that's kind of proved a lot of people wrong, I think. Um, so cool. maybe on the day that hopefully we win it, I'd love to be him for a day. I think on, that day would that be... Day. That, that yeah, it has to be that day yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, I think that'd be unbelievable. And obviously, and you know, uh, and I've probably got it. I played as a bit more as a little kid, um, but it's something that I'm going to get into a lot when I finish playing tennis, and that's playing a bit of golf too. Yes. And um, uh, obviously, I'd love to play at Augusta. I mean, yeah. for me, that's. I'd love to play there. I mean, I don't think too many people get to play. It's kind of like the Wimbledon, I I think, of tennis, where it's so bloody hard to get to play there. Um, And look... You just have to know a member. Yeah. That's the beauty of playing at Augusta. Yeah, and Johnny Isner's... Yeah, I I get a bit jealous of John Isner, and I I probably hit him up too many times when I ask him what Augusta was like, because his father-in-law's a member there, which is pretty cool. But... Uh, oh, look, but you have to go in when you're playing competition, though, because I think that kind of brings out with the galleries. I think that kind of brings out the best. Uh, and look, he's an Aussie, and, and you had him on your podcast just two ago. So maybe maybe Scotty at, at, yeah. at Augusta, maybe when he's um, he's on, uh, you know, that that fourth day, you know, uh, yeah. would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, when I watched, I was actually... Uh, I got in a bit of trouble when, when he won it actually, because I was in Germany at the time, probably playing a bit of club tennis. And, and, um, and I remember I was, I was at uh, my missus place and, and she, um, I had this crummy live stream and it would have been like at one in the morning or something <laughs> like that. And it's just gone to extra holes. And I've said before, no, no, it's, it's going to be finished after 18, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's trying to sleep and Especially all that. Especially when he holds the putt on 18 for Bernie. I know, I know, but then... Here it is. Buddy, yeah. Cabrera. Cabrera, yeah. buddy, sticks it, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, and no one had been scoring on 18 at all. No, no. You know, to walk away off a par, yeah. you know, everyone's going, that's a good score. And he, buddy, sticks his third shot. Um, so, yeah, I got in a bit of trouble then, but I thought that was unbelievable. So... Yeah. Look, he, I know he, he was born down in, in South Australia, but I know he spent a lot, most of his life up here in Queensland. Um, so maybe Scotty, I, I, I've loved watching Nine Holes with a mate when he played with Perth yeah, and then he had his cool. other one at Caloundra. So maybe, maybe Scotty at, at, um, at Augusta would be pretty cool too. Maybe we need to start the own, you, you, uh, you know, a set of tennis with a mate. And I'll yeah, come, I'll come out and you can um, dust me six love. But actually, maybe give me five love head start <laughs> and forty love serving, and let's see what happens. I'll be tight on that first point. <laughs> that's right. I think that's the beauty of golf, isn't it? That you know, yeah, because so you can cool. play with your handicap and stuff. It's so unique like that. Yeah, uh, that you can be competitive. 
anyone can be competitive because you know I've I've got a whole lot of shots up my sleeve that yeah. I can kind of use. Yes, yeah, so I'm and, looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, so look, I think that that's actually really cool, isn't it? Yeah. So about golf, but yeah, probably those two moments. I know you probably wanted one, but no, kind of cool. my two awesome. kind of passions would be um, yeah those ones. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, mate, uh, as I said before, it's been an absolute pleasure having. One of the superstars of Aussie tennis and, and genuine great guy. Um, I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. And, and the whole purpose behind this is to hopefully encourage those young uh, up-and-coming tennis stars of Australia. And so hopefully we can get this out to a bunch of people to be able to listen in and, and, and realise that the journey is a hard one. And, um, but, you know, keep pushing and keep squeezing until the lemon's completely dry. I love yep. that. That is so cool. And, uh, and mate, just know that, you, you know, uh, anytime you need someone to be in the crowd that you can cheer for four or five hours straight, I'm your man. So there you go. I will be there and be that voice for you anytime, mate. So uh, thanks so much for your time, mate. I wish you all the best in prep for hopefully a US Open later in the year and a French Open later in the year. And know that you've got a bunch of fans here in Australia cheering for you every second of the, the that you're on court around the world, mate. It's um, it's a privilege to be able to chat to you tonight and a, and a dream for me um, to, to be able to catch up and, and meet one of my uh, guys that I love watching play tennis. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it and uh, good chat as always, mate. And uh, I'll pick your brain another time about my golf game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. We'll catch up soon. I can hear I have to say that I was a massive John Millman fan before I met him and simply loved how he played tennis with such incredible passion and intensity. I stand by that, but now that I know the man a little bit more, I am an even bigger fan. I am just simply inspired by this chat and particularly his idea of, is there any more juice in the lemon? Thanks so much, John, for allowing me to watch you train and for sharing your journey with us on The Hard Yards. Next week, we take a trip into another area of sport where we catch up with sports presenter and commentator Andy Ma. He's another ripping fella, and I can't wait to once again catch up and talk all things sport. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and if you can, see if you can squeeze a little more juice out of the lemon this week.